Hello and welcome to What on Earth, the podcast of the Environmental Investigation Agency, or EIA. I'm Paul Newman, EIA's Senior Press and Communications Officer, and today we're going to be taking a look at patterns in the transnational illegal trades in wildlife and timber. Joining me is James Toon, a senior campaigner who works across our wildlife and forest projects, and he's going to be talking about how timber and wildlife crimes actually have quite a lot in common. James, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Thanks, Paul. Good to join you today. Now, your, your new report, Double Impact, the nexus where wildlife and forest crime overlap, was out earlier this month. Uh, to get us started, could you explain just what a nexus is in this context and why it's important? Sure, yeah. So uh, in this context, we're talking about the relationship and the crossovers between wildlife and forest crime. Um, And when we're talking about wildlife crime, um, we're talking about both the illegal trade and trafficking of wildlife, but also the illegal appropriation or sourcing of wildlife. And and the same issues apply when it comes to forest crime, principally around uh, timber and illegal sourcing and then illegal transportation of timber. Okay. Now, when when you talk about the different streams of wildlife crime, like illegal timber trafficking and, and wildlife product trafficking, uh, and them crossing over, is that a matter of geographical happenstance, or are the same criminals behind both crimes? Um. Well, there's a kind of a simple answer to that, and then a slightly kind of more complex answer. Um, simply, uh, yes, sometimes, um, but it really depends where we're talking about. So if you imagine a scenario where, um, let's take ivory, um, sourcing of ivory, for example, um, it tends to be quite specialist. So poachers and poaching gangs who go out, uh, they go out specifically to, to find ivory because it's quite an undertaking to go and take out an elephant and, and take their tusks and if you imagine the same gang you know either diversifying and occasionally going out and trying to look for timber um it's generally going to be a a slightly different approach timber is is much broader in terms of its scale um it it requires totally different kinds of equipment you can't just drag a tree or you know a number of trees out of a forest you need you know specialist equipment to enable you to do so Um, so actually you do find that there, there, there are differences, but what we found in the report is that uh, occasionally people are using timber, and it may be illegal, it may not be illegal, it may be legally sourced, but they're using timber as a concealment method to move wildlife products, and that was one of the areas of convergence. And clearly, that's a an in, uh, an, an area where, if uh, that timber is illegal, then that the, the same criminals are perpetrating both illegal timber and illegal wildlife trafficking. Yeah, but also by, by chance there was uh, an example of that actually in the news only yesterday, a major bust in Nigeria of 8.8 tonnes of wildlife products, mostly pangolin scales and ivory tusks and big cat bones. Um, and they found it in a container that when they first opened it appeared to be stuffed with timber. And when they yeah, began to examine it closer. They found the timber was simply a, a, a fake wall of timber, effectively at the very front of the container, which was then jammed with the IWT. So, yeah, I can I can see how that how that must be happening. Yeah, um, I mean, also on that, Paul, just to just to draw an important contrast as well. One of the things that um, EIA investigations have found with regard to illegal timber trafficking is because of the scale, because of the kind of equipment that's used. Often, actually, we're talking about companies so we're talking about this being done by big entities and when we're talking about wildlife trafficking principally people might be using companies as a front for their trafficking but that generally tends to be relatively small scale and you're actually talking about 
organized criminal syndicates and and chains for for trafficking wildlife so that's quite an important area of of contrast um, between the two crime types yeah uh, in, in the analysis that um, you did for this report, have you identified the reasons that these crossovers occur? Well, the report identifies three principal areas of crossover. So one is geographical. Uh, one is the issue that we're just talking about, which is the use of timber as a concealment method. Um, and the third one is the uh, issue of poaching being related to deforestation. Um, and, and there being a relationship between those two things. If you take the first issue on, on the geographical convergence, um, it's very clear that one of the reasons that source countries for illegal wildlife and illegal timber are the same is because uh, uh, the drivers for those two um, trades or I illegal acts are the same. Poor governance, uh, the ability to be able to access wildlife and timber because they're both readily available in those contexts, um, trade links, um, the ability to be able to form companies and in, in this case maybe sometimes as fronts or the, the ability to be able to access in the case of timber concessions sometimes illegally um, by, by offering bribes, uh, weak and, um, and ineffective law enforcement, weak laws. So you can see actually geographically uh, there will be a convergence and, and those, those drivers and those factors are the same. If we take the issue of um, timber being used as a concealment method, um, one of the reasons why, and this, the, the, the bus that you referred to yesterday, um, I, I think was, was, was a similarly, um, the, the reasons behind it were the same, um, the timber can be uh, moved legally. And in fact, the scale of timber being moved at the moment, uh, particularly as, as EIA is looking between Africa and, and Asia and Asian markets, uh, is huge. And therefore, uh, the ability to use timber as, as a means of concealment, when if you imagine you were putting, you know, I don't know, um, uh, pieces of uh, pink chewing gum, that's going to raise some concerns on your bill of lading. But timber being so commonplace won't. And that was that was a very, um, you know, significant, clear reason why why we're seeing movements of timber and use of concealment. And then with regard to the third area of nexus, deforestation, as a driver of poaching, well, it, that is really a causal relationship that we highlighted. Um, and what we weren't able to show in, in the report, um, but possibly an area for further research, was, for example, the objective of deforestation being to hunt more wildlife. Um, actually, principally what we found uh, is that where you're getting areas of logging, and that could be legal concessions or illegal uh, logging, that it's opening up areas of forest which were uh, primarily untouched um, prior to their being logged, and then the wildlife species within them are much more available to poachers and hunters. So it's, it's more kind of a matter of opportunism in that respect then, yeah? They, they, they see that there's deforestation happening and then they realise there are there are ways that they can get in and out of that environment to then go and poach uh, in a landscape that's already been opened up for another kind of crime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Funnily enough, um, as an aside, I, re I read only recently, because um, I'm a bit of a movie nut, um, in the making of Apocalypse Now, um, because Coppola and the crew were filming deep in the jungle in the Philippines, they actually had a road um, quickly built out so they could get to and from the location easily enough. And obviously, after all the um, drama of actually filming, they, they packed up and went back to America to get their awards and put the film out. 
um, at which point um, they found that illegal loggers were using the road to get into this otherwise previously inaccessible area of the rainforest wow. and actually ex extract timber from it. <laughs> and I would imagine it's probably the next thing is that yeah, poachers would get in there because they too then have the, the access road. So it's, it's, yeah, you, th these kind of opportunities are created without any thought about what might actually happen in the aftermath of it. And that, and that is exactly Paul. That's exactly the issue that that comes up in the report, right? It's it's the is the issue of access roads, and you know, as you said it out there in in, in that example, it's kind of in, intuitive for people to understand that if you if you don't have a road, it's difficult to get somewhere. But if you build a road, especially in a in a in a in an area of rainforest with the density of trees and everything to try and get around, well, all of a sudden it's accessible. So yeah, it's, it's going to effectively gonna, an invitation. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Um, in, in your work, have you found any particular hotspots, um, like where, where this crossover happens? Are there any places that are particularly prevalent for it? Yeah, no. I mean, that is, I think, one of the most important elements of of what we've been able to found uh, find within the report, and and one of the things that we'd like to take forward in our advocacy on the back of it. Um, <clears throat> certainly, in terms of um, sourcing and then transiting, and and. You know, I, I alluded to it earlier, but just to be clear, the report does focus on um, EIA's work, uh, principally looking at Africa to Asia and then the intra-Asia trade. So I'm not talking here about Latin America. We don't do any work in Latin America, so um, I can't comment on the trends there. But when it comes to hotspots uh, along those two routes, um, we found significant export of both illegal wildlife and illegal timber coming out of West Africa, in particular Nigeria. So it's unsurprising that your um, allusion earlier to the the bust that's happened, which is really good news, uh, in the in the fact that it's been um, it's been revealed and that they've they've hit somebody on that route. But that is a very very popular route for the movement of both illegal wildlife and illegal timber out of Africa. Um, we also further down that West African coast. And any any of the bigger ports. So we, we noticed significant issues coming out of Cameroon and EIA produced a report fairly recently on the uh, sourcing of Cameroonian timber in, into Vietnam and, and the illegalities there. Um, and that's through maritime routes out, out of the ports in, in Cameroon. Um, and, and then through... Uh, from the source areas uh, into the transit areas, what we see, especially with illegal logging, uh, in order to mask the origin, and this can sometimes be the case for illegal wildlife as well, they do something called, criminals uh, do something called transshipment. And so what that, what that means is they find a port uh, usually an intermediate port, so a long route to the eventual destination, and they will unload the container and then reload it, and then they will book a new container moving from that port onto sometimes a, a, final, a, a, a further intermediate transshipment point or the final offloading point before it moves on to the market. And again, we found a significant convergence um, between the, the ports that are used, Malaysia, um, and Malaysia is, is comes up as being probably the most significant, but also Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, and then in terms of final destinations, 
the the demand for illegal wildlife and um, illegal logging uh, is being driven principally by Asian countries, principally by China. But there's a growing market um, and a significant market in, in involving Vietnam as well. Um, so we we also see an overlap there. Am I right in thinking? I mean, this transshipment, this um, unloading and reloading of, of contraband, is, is that largely done to obscure the origins of it, so or, and to lower possible flags that might be raised in the country of receipt? Because if it's coming from somewhere you wouldn't expect that kind of material to be coming from, then you're not really going to be looking for it, I guess. Yeah, it is. Uh, interestingly enough, there was a case, um, an EIA report on the Shuedon connection, when it, when in fact attempts at transshipment this was in the case of ivory um, and ivory um, being sourced from the east african coast in this instance and being transshipped in busan in in south korea and then on to china in that instance actually it was the uh, nature of the route which actually led to uh, the shipping line in question not wanting to take the cargo because it flagged up sl- slight concerns because it, was, because it was a bit kind of uh, in terms of pure trade and efficiency and cost it was going way beyond where they needed to go to go to Korea to go back to China from Africa um, so it doesn't always necessarily work in the smuggler's favour. <laughs> Well, I guess not, because we, we, we found him in that case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, obviously, you've been able to identify several key locations. What would be the value of knowing where these hotspots are to enforcement and, and others tackling environmental crimes? That's a really good question, Paul. I mean... I, I think I think the most important thing is look when I when I first started um, working on on these issues I I, I I started working on the illegal wildlife trade first and it was it was explained to me by somebody at the time that often trying to find illegal wildlife is like searching for a needle in a haystack but it's, it's like searching for a needle and there are a lot of haystacks right so the analogy i'd use is that by being able to identify through you know eia's specialist intelligence our undercover investigations um the kind of work that we do reliable information that we get on where this stuff is actually happening that gives uh, a massive um, reduction in the number of haystacks, right? We're actually finding the haystacks. We've still got to find the needles, and sometimes we can we can actually find the needles too. And uh, you know that's why we've been involved in some of the some of the um, important information which has led to um, the bus which which we've been involved in. Um, but I think you know the argument we make in the report is to say, look we've identified these areas one of the recommendations is to both the international community and to the governments of um, these countries in question is to prioritize the issues of wildlife crime and timber crime because you know we've shown with our evidence that these issues are prevalent um, and therefore they they deserve attention um, and if and if the international community is is serious about stopping the decimation of wildlife species and and tackling um, the decimation of forests then then they're going to need to do that yeah, I guess to riff on your haystacks analogy, we were able to go to enforcement and say, look, we've got rid of 97 haystacks that we know don't have needles in them or are very unlikely to, but here's three that definitely do. And it allows mm. them to zero all their attention in on those, yeah. Exactly. Now, now obviously, there's times in our work generally uh, when the sheer scale of environmental crime around the world can just feel a bit overwhelming. Have you actually got any good news in the report? Um. I think what we what we've been able to show in the report is that there are I mean 
one of the big pieces of good news is that the international community and the extent of focus on the issues of IWT and, and illegal t- timber trafficking, illegal wildlife trafficking, illegal timber trafficking, it's it's really gone up the political radar over the last, you know, maybe five, ten years. Um, and the fact that you have a number of international bodies, the forming of um, IQIC, the International Consortium Against Wildlife Crime, um, offering uh, the the means for countries who might not know where to start, right? So even if I was to uh, identify, you know, Nigeria, as I have done as a, as a hotspot for the trafficking of um, wildlife and timber, the Nigerian authorities might say, well, look, you know, where, where do we start in terms of, uh, you know, our legal framework, our enforcement capacity, our, you know, intelligence-led policing, our sharing of information across international borders. I mean, what do we start with? The, something like the IQIC um, was formed and they created a toolkit, the ability for a country to um, be assisted, to undertake an assessment of all the capacities, all the things they needed to do to be able to tackle wildlife and timber crime, and then to score and, and identify areas where they might improve and then and then attract funding. Um, and, you know, the fact that this has gone up the political radar means that there is more more funding available. So now it's just a question of, you know, using that funding uh, effectively and, and, and appropriately. And hopefully this report identifying these hotspot areas that we have will help the international community to do that, you know, get more bang for uh, our buck as we invest. Excellent. Well, I must say it's a great piece of work, um, and it's 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 actually making connections that you know, I've worked for EIA for about a decade now, and I've not been aware of of, of the extent to which um, these different crime streams crossed over. So, well done on that. But what's actually next for your your nexus work? Um, are you taking it anywhere else? Yeah. No. So w- one of the things that the report identifies, and I've talked about shipping um, a fair bit in this in this discussion we've had, we'd like to, uh, and we are currently engaging with um, several other NGOs and a, a consortium called the United for Wildlife Task Force. Uh, United for Wildlife was set up uh, under the aegis of uh, the Duke of Cambridge, um, who I think has a personal commitment to um stopping wildlife trafficking uh and stopping the, the the decimation of wildlife species and you know from a conservation perspective and EIA is a member um we signed up to something called the Buckingham Palace declaration and the United for Wildlife set up two task forces one of them is looking at finance um so this is where the the money from illegal wildlife and illegal logging where where does that money go um which bank which which countries through which means is it moved um where is it invested how is it laundered um so we are currently as a campaign we're engaging with the financial action task force and uh the financial action task force is the principal global body in charge of setting standards and then monitoring and policing those standards against money laundering. And they're focusing at the moment on illegal logging. So we'll continue to engage uh, on EIA's behalf as a, as a campaign and EIA as an organisation will continue to engage with the FATF on that. And we'll share some of the, the knowledge that we have derived from the investigations that we've done. Um, and then we're also going to be working through the task force with members on their transport 
Task Force, United Wildlife Transport ta- tra- Transport uh, Transport Task Force. Uh, quite a mouthful that. Uh, <laughs> and they that work will focus on maritime trafficking. So we will try to work with shipping companies, with what what are called freight forwarders, the guys who actually move the containers and pack the containers and get them onto the ships, and port authorities eventually, um, to try and toughen up that uh, that movement of goods to make it more difficult for traffickers um, to get illegal timber and illegal wildlife out of uh, the places they're moving it out of um, and, and eventually on to market. Because if we stop that flow or if we make it more difficult, then the uh, logic or the incentive for traffickers to you know, do more wildlife uh, trafficking or do more timber trafficking, it reduces because their costs of doing business effectively go up. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you've got a pretty full dance card for the next few months, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, should 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 see us busy. Super. Well, best of luck with that, and I uh, hope it goes really well. Thanks, Paul. And um, maybe we'll come back and chat about it again when you've um, got some some more findings to to share with us. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, I'd love Excellent. to do that. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk today. <laughs> Well, James, thanks very much indeed for joining us. And uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please watch this space for future episodes and check out our website at eia-international.org to find out more about our work. Thank you very much for joining us. And wherever you are out there, stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>